So I want to talk to you guys today about why Lyme disease is an environmental illness. It seems sort of funny to call an infection an environmental illness. I mean, if you're sick from lead-based paint, that would be an environmental illness because the paint is in your environment. But if you get bit by a tick and it transmits an infection to you, how is that an environmental illness? We don't think of strep throat or a broken leg or um, other infections as an environmental illness. And when I say environmental illness, I do not mean that it is acquired by ticks that live in the environment. And I don't mean that it's because of global warming and that there's more ticks that are breeding and a higher percentage of ticks have Lyme disease. That's sort of a misconception. And some people might consider Lyme disease to be an environmental illness for those reasons because the tick population is exploding. But I do not believe that to be the case. And the reason that I consider Lyme disease to be an environmental illness is extremely important. And let me tell you what I mean. Um, I got bit by a tick about three months ago, and I'm pretty sure it gave me Lyme disease for about a week, and I didn't treat it, and it didn't really hurt me. Well, why is that? Um, It's actually believed that a large percentage of the population has Borrelia, has Lyme disease, has co-infections, and they don't get sick. Well, why don't they get sick? Um, We could talk about a lot of factors why people don't get sick or why people do get sick when they get exposed to Borrelia, but I think the key factor is environmental. And let me explain what I mean. If you think of all of the new toxicity that we are adding to the world compared to 500 years ago when we didn't use chemicals, our world is extremely toxic now. And something that Eric Johnson said that I really, really like is when when doctors talk about, oh, you have a genetic flaw. You can't detox. You have this genetic abnormality. You can't detox these toxins. Something that Herrick said that I love is, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I don't have the flaw because these chemicals are not supposed to be here in the first place, right? I mean, humans have not adapted or been... um, Uh, the human body is not prepared to deal with some of the stuff in our environment. That's like telling a dog, you died from those euthanasia drugs because you have an environmental, I'm sorry, because you have a genetic abnormality. Hey, hey, little dog, when you got euthanized, um, those euthanasia chemicals, you're supposed to be able to tolerate those, but you didn't because you have a genetic malfunction. No, 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 no. The dog's fine. Um, the, the euthanasia drugs are what kill you. I mean, um, or, or, you know, somebody getting shot with a bullet. Um, the, the, you know, Hey guy who got shot with a bullet. Um, it's, it's actually, um, your fault that you died from that bullet. Your body has a genetic, um, predisposition to not be able to deal with, um, shotgun, shells. Like, no, 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 that that makes no sense, right? So the problem really at some point is not um, our problem. It's not our genetics. Um, it's, it's the environment. The environment is too toxic. And sure, certain people may fall to those toxins first because of genetics. But another thing that Eric has said that I really like is that um, some people call us canaries, like a canary in a coal mine. Um, 
and you know somebody who's who kind of senses the toxins first eric i believe has used the phrase sentinels we are not canaries we're sentinels we're the first to go explore this brave new world and report back to the rest of the earth hey you guys are next you know yeah your genetics might be okay this year but wait till next year when they release 5g and new chemicals and new agriculture and glyphosate you you know everyone's eventually going to fall right i mean the world is going in, in the wrong direction pretty soon there's going to be more genetic predispositions that are affected by the increasing level of toxicity so what does that have to do with lyme disease and mold illness well you you know you hit a point where the body can no longer detox these toxins, um, especially biotoxins. Biotoxins are toxins made by uh, living things. So mold releases biotoxins, Borrelia releases biotoxins, uh, co-infections release biotoxins, parasites release biotoxins. And you hit a threshold where there's too many toxins for you to handle. And what is sort of interesting that a lot of people don't consider is that these toxins can be inside of you and outside of you that are building up. So if you have Lyme disease and co-infections, you already have sort of a heavier load and you may be able to tolerate less uh, external toxins. So it's kind of the combination of the toxins inside of you and the toxins outside of you. And since Borrelia and co-infections release very, very potent biotoxins, they can add to the overall biotoxic load. And that's why mold avoidance is so helpful because by avoiding mold and avoiding mold's biotoxins, you can lower the amount of biotoxins that the body is being exposed to to allow the body to, to have a chance to catch up and, and process and detox those toxins. And this is why I believe now that tick bites don't affect me. Now, I'm not saying I can't get sick from a tick bite again. Of course I could. I could get a different co-infection. I mean, I could die from a tick bite, but I don't have that same fear of tick bites that I used to have. And I really feel like my detox now in my body is really cranking and, and, and happening the way it should be happening. And so I think that if you can reduce internal and external biotoxins, uh, you could give the body a chance to catch up. And the experience of the body catching up is very profound. You, you don't wonder, um, oh, I wonder if my body's caught up now. Like you start to get your life back. You start to get your health back. You start to be a normal person again. And it's very clear that it's happening. It, it, there's no question about if it's working or not. So from that regard, I think that... Um, if our external environment, chemicals, glyphosate, mold toxins, were not getting worse, then <clears throat> we would have more capacity to deal with Borrelia and co-infections. And that's why I think that if you look at the rise of Lyme disease, the rise of Borrelia, you know, Lyme disease is the fastest growing infectious disease in the country. What if that's actually not true? What if people have had Lyme disease for thousands of years? You know, they found a caveman, a fossil, a... Um, what do you call it? A, I'm not an anthropologist, but they, they found a, a dead guy. They, they, they dated back to like 50,000 years and he had Borrelia. He had Lyme disease. So what if actually Lyme disease is not on the rise? What if people have always had Lyme disease and it's not new at all? It's just old. But what makes it on the rise is people are having more symptoms and debilitation from it because their cup is already overflowing from modern 
environmental toxicity from chemicals that we use. And isn't that a profound thought that maybe Borrelia is not actually on the rise, that it's always been there, but we were our, our systems were less burdened with biotoxins and, and our systems could just flush out the biotoxins more easily. I mean, that's a totally different paradigm change. And from that regard, mold avoidance is extremely profound because it might give our bodies the tools and the breathing space to just deal with the co-infections and not be debilitated by them. And this is this is like a whole different way of thinking. And and so this puts the burden really on the environmental toxicity more than it does on the infections, which I think is very accurate. Um, <clears throat> one thing I want to cover briefly, I have a podcast called Mold plus chemicals e- equals super toxins. And I want to point out to you guys that when I say environmental toxicity, um, the, the deadly environmental toxins are not necessarily mold alone. If you go into a pristine forest in the Amazon jungle and there's mold growing on the trees, chances are it's not going to hurt you. And if you go to a chemical factory where they're making chemicals, yes, it might give you cancer. Yes, it's not good for you, but it's not the stuff I'm talking about. For biotoxin-sensitive individuals, generally the environmental toxicity that we're talking about is when you mix mold with chemicals, it creates these mold chemical uh, little packets that are super toxin. Um, we call them super toxins. And so that's what I'm referring to. Mold is doing the job in the environment of cleaning up glyphosate, cleaning up the chemicals, eating the chemicals, and then basically pooping out uh, chemical-laced mycotoxins that is like a nuclear bomb inside your body that your body cannot get rid of. So yes, the chemicals are the problem, and then the mold is just saying, hey, we'll be the cleanup crew. So humans have sort of brought this on, on themselves. I mean, mold is nature's way of cleaning house. We're making a big mess with chemicals. Mold is cleaning up the mess, and humans are getting going to be made extinct because of the war that's happening between mold and chemicals and uh, the microbiome. So, you know, that that's just little mechanics of how that works. I'm not going to go into it in a whole lot of detail. But um, as you can see, I think that mold avoidance is an indirect way to directly deal with Lyme disease, if that makes sense. And this has been my experience. Since I've been doing extreme mold avoidance, I haven't needed co-infection treatment anymore um, or, or Lyme disease treatment. I'm going to give you a quick anecdote and a, qu- a quick story that I find very interesting. When I was first getting started with mold avoidance, I was doing ozone treatments, which I've talked a lot about, and bee venom, using live bees, stinging myself 10 times, three times a week with live bees. Take them out of the cage, sting with the live stinger. You know, bees wiggling on the tweezers, doing that. You know, I've had over a thousand, I think maybe 1,500 live stings. The live stings have been really, really helpful to me early on when I was still really toxic. Bee venom is one of the most profound and effective antimicrobials. But as I started to recover, my body only wanted the ozone. And I never really felt like uh, ozone killed the infections. I felt more like it was cleaning house and helping my body detox the mold toxins. So the reason I bring up that story is I think it's fascinating that eventually my body realized Hey, Brian, we don't need to kill infections anymore. If you can just stay ahead of the toxicity, keep this stuff moving out of your body, detox to a level where you're not so toxic anymore, then the infections 
just take care of themselves. And and lately, as I've been a more experienced mold avoider, we've been doing extreme mold avoidance um, for about 30 months now. Um, and lately, it's just more and more profound how much my body wants detox, exercise, sweating, hiking, mold avoidance, ozone. It has no interest in antimicrobials. I can, you know, I have thousands of different samples, and this is what I do for a living. And my body is not interested in antimicrobials at all, only in detox. And so I think if we really pull back the curtain on what's happening here, um, Lyme disease is an environmental toxicity overload illness. It is not primarily caused by an infection. An infection is just one of the things that adds to the toxicity. And you guys, this is profound. Thousands of Lyme disease sufferers right now are sitting in doctor's offices getting IV antibiotics for months and years and not getting better. And then they end up on the internet, help, help, I've been treated, I'm not getting better. And the antibiotics are destroying their microbiome. And this is a whole paradigm change in how we see this. Now, I don't take credit for this. This isn't new. There have been a lot of doctors that I respect, even 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I got involved in alternative medicine, who said it's a bioterrain problem. The infections will not take up residence if the bioterrain is not hospitable. So we've always kind of known that you need to detox. The problem is that how you detox wasn't working. All of the recommendations were not working. Um, people were just not getting better. The sickest people were not getting better in saunas and doing, you know, juicing and fiber and detox and, you know, infrared mats, all the detox stuff, binders. Nobody was getting better. Well, that's why mold avoidance is such a breakthrough because um, mold avoiders have discovered, Eric has discovered that the body will refuse to detox. It will say, I'm not detoxing, guys. Sorry, we're, we're turning off detox if it is exposed to too much mold. The body is smart and it says we're not going to detox in a moldy environment. This is a podcast that I just made last week. Go listen to it. Um, and so um, the, the thing about extreme mold avoidance is if you can get clear enough of mold you can turn the magic detox switch on and it really turns detox on its head. For many years, this is what I mean, this is very important, try to stick with me here. For many years, you couldn't detox no matter what you did. You took the fanciest binders, you bought the sauna, you did the exercise, you sweat and you couldn't detox, right? Nothing came out or you or you didn't get better, right? When you do a mold, enough mold avoidance, it's the opposite of that. You detox so much without any fancy treatments, without any binders, without any saunas. Once you turn that detox switch on, the floodgates open and it's like you can't even control it. The detox comes out like a waterfall. It's crazy. It's such a profound experience. I can't even describe it to you guys. Um, and you don't even have to do anything. So when you're living in a moldy environment, you're living in too much mold, even if you realize and you believe me that Lyme disease is an environmental toxicity disease, even if you're like, Brian, I, I agree, I'm with you. If you don't get clear enough of mold, <clears throat> no amount of detox, supplements, treatments, saunas is going to work because you're fighting the body. The body in its own wisdom knows that it cannot turn on the two-way gate of detox because when you detox it's letting things out and in the body says we're not going to do it unless you're more clear of mold we're not going to do it and so 
even if you believe me, you're still not going to get anywhere unless you get clear enough of mold. Now, how clear of mold do you need to be? Um, This is a bit of a tricky topic because I think that the ambient levels of mold in much of our world, you know, a lot of doctors say, oh, you got to move out of your house, your moldy house, right? So a doctor might think that you're being exposed to five or 10 or 15 times too much mold. Move out of your house, move to a new apartment, you know, maybe vacuum your car, okay? But I think that for some people and for the sickest people, they're being exposed to 10,000 times more mold than what they can handle, than what their detox will allow. 10,000 times more than what they can handle. And so you don't just have to move out of your moldy house. You might have to get rid of your car. You might have to start over with a new wardrobe. If your ambient outside air is too full of super toxins, you might have to take some time away in a more pristine location. My argument is that the reason people are not experiencing this detox switch turning back on and they go, hey, mold avoidance didn't work. I moved out of my house. It's because they're not getting clear enough of mold. They're not getting clear enough. And and we have way more, 10,000 times as much mold as the body can handle. We've been hammering this mold into our system since we were babies. And it's just overwhelming. There's a lot more of it than we think. I'm trying to think of an example where this happened in human history, where there was a lot more of something than we thought. Okay, here's an example. Um Mercury, you know, we used to use mercury to treat syphilis and doctors said, oh yeah, you know, mercury is a little toxic, but it'll be okay. It's worth it to treat syphilis. They were wrong. Mercury was 10,000 times more toxic than they realized. And now if you break a mercury thermometer in a school, they require a cleanup crew with spacesuits on to close the whole school, create a reverse vacuum, go through procedures, because now we realize mercury is 10,000 times more toxic than we thought it was. Another example is lead-based paint. We used to think Lead-based paint is just a little toxic, but it's okay. We can still paint with it. And now we know that lead-based paint is much, much more of a problem. Asbestos, you know, asbestos. We used to say, okay, asbestos is a little bit bad, but now we know it's really, really, really bad, okay? So I think we're at the beginning of that journey with mold where, where doctors, even, you guys listen to me, even fancy Lyme and mold doctors, they still are at the beginning of this. They still don't know this. They still think that, oh yeah, mold is a little bit bad. Okay. They still think, oh yeah, lead-based paint, mercury, asbestos, mold. It's a little bit bad. They don't know yet how bad it is. And they don't realize that the, that the amounts that we're being exposed to are 10,000 times too high to get the body to reverse this vicious cycle of disease. And so that's why this is so profound. That's why extreme mold avoidance, um, puzzles people. I mean, what if you, what if someone told you you're doing extreme lead-based paint avoidance? Nobody would say that because we all agree that it is a good idea to do extreme lead-based paint avoidance, right? You shouldn't live in a house that has uh, lead-based paint dust all over the place. If you said, I don't want to live in this house because there's lead-based paint dust, no one's going to say, Renee, John, Mike, you're a fool. You're doing extreme lead-based paint avoidance. That's so paranoid, right? Because we know now, we've advanced in our knowledge to know that there's no such thing as extreme lead-based paint avoidance. And so I think we're at the precipice. We're at the beginning of the next 50 years of realizing that Extreme mold avoidance is just a given if you want to reverse some of these chronic, degenerative, fatal 
illnesses. So I've gotten a little bit off on a tangent. I've been a little bit more passionate than I normally am, but I think this is so important and I hope you share this podcast with your friends. I hope you share this with the Lyme disease community. Some of my other podcast episodes are more focused on just mold avoidance, but I think this one will really help people make the transition to a different paradigm of understanding. And I hope you'll share this with the people who are in doctor's offices getting the IV antibiotics. And I'm not and I, I'm not a doctor, you guys. That's my disclaimer. I'm not telling you to stop the treatment your doctor has recommended for you. Um, I'm not a doctor. But I hope that people will start to think about this differently. Now I'm I'm on a roll here, you guys. I'm on a roll. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go down one last road and then I'll be done. Um, one of the things that I noticed with mold avoidance that was fascinating to me was that when I started doing mold avoidance, the things that made me feel better and what my body was asking for was take it away, take it away, take it away. Don't give me supplements, don't give me pills, don't give me treatments, take it away. Take the mold away, take the toxins away, take things away. My, the body was saying, get this shit off of me and I will heal, okay? And that is not what Lyme doctors are doing. They are sending supplements and herbs and therapies and antibiotics into the system. It is, in my opinion, precisely the wrong approach to take. The body is overburdened. It is not a Lyme disease and toxicity is not a deficiency of supplements or treatments. It is not a deficiency of external treatments. It is an overburdening of toxicity. And if you start taking the toxicity away, the body can make a miraculous recovery, but it is very hard to get clear enough of mold. That's the whole premise of mold avoidance is that it's hard. Now, when I did get clear enough of mold, my body no longer wanted all those supplements. And this is so weird. Let me just give you a little insight into the weird world of mold healing. And some other people have noticed this too. When I started doing mold avoidance, I started craving the strangest healing foods that you could imagine. It was like my body was rebuilding itself. And it said, we need this. We need this. And I've heard other mold avoiders say this. Here's a couple of weird examples, okay? For about a month, all I could crave and eat, all I wanted was organic cream top whole milk, organic cream top whole milk, like the kind they sell in the Strauss brand with the red cap. It's like $10 a bottle. And it's like this creamy, fatty, organic milk. And I would drink it and I would feel like a million bucks. Now, of course, when I was really sick with Lyme disease, I couldn't tolerate it because fat feeds protozoan and all these dietary restrictions. Well, my body said, give me that. And I didn't even eat food. I just drank organic cream top whole milk for a month. Okay. About a month after that, I was at the health food store and my eye, I laid eyes on organic Lakewood brand carrot juice, organic Lakewood brand carrot juice. And it was like I had tunnel vision. It was like seeing, you know, your wife across the room for the first time. It was like bells and music were going off. And I was like, I wanted to like cry because I was so happy that I found this carrot juice. Now, before I saw the carrot juice, I never even knew that I even wanted carrot juice. And when I was sick, I couldn't even tell a difference if I drank carrot juice or not. Sometimes I would force feed myself carrot juice because um, I thought it was healthy, but it never helped me. But once I unburdened my body and I got rid of the toxicity, all of a sudden, I was in love with organic carrot juice. And to this day, my body is still craving it. I, I spend more money on organic carrot juice some months than I do on 
gas or food or clothing or my mortgage. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not really. I mean, there's been days where I've had one or two of those $8 bottles. I've spent $500 a month on carrot juice at times. And and I say that to you because the body turns on. You know when your car won't turn over and and it's going and the battery's dead and you know that sound. You're like, oh man, I need a jump start. That's the way my body was for 20 years. It just, nothing worked. Nothing was doing anything um, nothing was happening. And you know, when your car turns on, right, you, you, you hear the rear rear and then it goes, and you, you know, my, my car turned on. You don't have to wonder. I wonder if my car turned on, you know, it turned on. That's how I felt when I started doing extreme mold avoidance with the ozone, the 10 pass ozone, I think just greased the wheels of progress on making mold avoidance work better. And, and, and I, I would drink this carrot juice in, in crazy quantities, like unbelievable quantities of carrot juice. And then later, guess what? I found out from a lot of other experienced mold avoiders that that happened to them too, that they went through a crazy period of craving organic whole milk and that they went through a crazy period of craving organic carrot juice. Do you guys see what I'm saying here? This is a specific illness. It's not, oh, you're different. Everybody's different. Some people need saunas and some people need herbs and some people, that's bullshit, okay? The reason we think everybody's different is because nobody's getting well and we're making up a bunch of crap to try to explain why nobody's getting well, just like they did um, before they realized that H. pylori caused stomach ulcers. Everyone had a little theory. Oh, it's because you're stressed. Oh, it's because you were abused as a child. No, it's because of H. pylori. That's why everybody makes up their own crap. That's why one of my rules, if you ever join the Practical Mold Avoidance Facebook group, One of the rules that I have there is that you come as a student and you listen and you learn because people have been making up so much garbage because they've had to. I don't blame them. Nothing's working. So we all make up our own little pet theories. Oh, everybody's different. No, 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 no. I don't think everybody is different. Now, sure, there are people who don't have mold illness and maybe this doesn't apply to them. But for the biotoxin illness community, I think we're not all different. We're, We're more or less all the same. It's just a lot of people, sadly, have not figured this out yet. And I don't say this to be arrogant and say that I I didn't discover any of this stuff, you guys, in this podcast. You know, I'm just repeating what I've learned. I'm putting, I'm connecting the dots. I've been in the alternative medicine publishing community for almost 20 years. So I'm just connecting some dots. So this is really profound stuff. It's very fascinating and interesting. And I really don't like my podcast to go much longer than this because people kind of lose focus. So I'm going to end it here. Please share this with people to help them make the transition from a infection paradigm to a toxicity paradigm. But remember that none of the detox happens until you get the body really, really clear of mold, 10,000 times more clear than your doctor might believe. That doesn't apply to everybody. For the less sick people who aren't as toxic and haven't been in mold as long, maybe moving out of their moldy house is enough. I don't want to discourage people from taking the first step. I don't want people to not do anything because they're paralyzed. Even when I just moved out of my moldy house, you guys, um, and I didn't do extreme mold avoidance, it was so clear to me that that was helpful to me, that, that it was worth it. And then the motivation to do extreme mold avoidance was a natural progression of doing a little bit of mold avoidance. You do a little bit and you go, oh, that feels really good. I'm going to do a little more. And then you do a little more and you go, oh, that feels really good. Do a little more. You know, so I'm not telling people to go crazy on extreme mold avoidance on day one. 
that would be irrational. But the baby steps to me created deeper motivation. I mean, that's why we're doing this, right? You know, the people who are doing extreme mold avoidance, we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't making us feel good. You know, no one's going to do this if it wasn't working. It's just about the most inconvenient thing possible. So there better be a huge payoff is what I'm saying. So it was a it was a process of testing conclusion, testing conclusion, testing conclusion to get to the point where I realized how profound it was. And so I'm not suggesting that people commit to doing extreme mold avoidance from day one. I'm not asking you to do that. That would be too much to ask. But what I'm saying is that for me and others, dipping one toe into the water pretty soon led us to diving in head first. Because when you have your health back, everything in life is better. And all of the inconveniences of mold avoidance are a tiny price to pay. I'm still under 30 minutes. I count that as a win. Thank you guys for listening. Just a quick disclaimer. um, I am not a doctor. I am a healthcare journalist. If you need medical advice, don't listen to this podcast. Call a doctor. Do not discontinue any antibiotics or any prescribed treatments um, because of this podcast. Go ask your doctor. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day.